Well, good morning, City Light. My name is Joe, and I am one of the pastors here. And this morning, we're going to be continuing in our Advent series. Um, and just as a reminder of where we've been and where we're going, we are, uh, through this series, we're taking a theme that we see in the Old Testament about the Savior that is to come, and we're tracing it from the Old Testament to the incarnation, the first Advent, the first coming of Jesus. And then looking forward to the second advent, or the second coming of Jesus. And the reason that we're doing this is because the Christmas story did not start in Luke chapter 2 with a visit from an angel. And it didn't end in a manger in a town called Bethlehem, or for a matter of fact, it didn't end with his death and resurrection. But this story, this whole story of redemption started back in Genesis chapter 3. And it will not end until Jesus comes again, which is a real date on a real calendar that we are really looking forward to. And so our hope through this series is as we look back on promises fulfilled by God that, like the Old Testament saints, anticipated and longed for the first coming of Jesus, that we would look back and that would cause us to long for and to anticipate the second coming of Jesus. And so this morning, last week we looked at Jesus as the prophet or sorry, as the shepherd, and this morning we're looking at Jesus as the prophet. Now, when you hear that word prophet, there are probably about a thousand different things that come to your mind. You might think of old dudes in the Bible calling down fire from heaven or maybe making some bears come out of the woods and eat some teenagers. It happens, you can look it up. <laughs> Or you might think a televangelist with spray tans and big hair who for a low cost of $99 will tell you what your next blessing is. Or you might think of someone in a dark room with a crystal ball who tells the future. But for our purposes this morning, I want to work off of a simple definition of a prophet that I believe to be true uh, to what the Bible shows us. And that is this. A prophet is simply one who speaks God's truth to others, one who speaks God's truth to others. And so as we uh, walk through the passages that we're going to today, I want you to keep this in the front of your mind, what a prophet is. It is simply one who speaks God's truth to others. Now, throughout the Bible, the form of this truth takes on many different uh, things. Sometimes it was for telling the future. God was telling and showing his people that he was about to do something or that he was going to do something. So sometimes the prophets would foretell the future. Sometimes it was pronouncing judgment on a specific people or a king or a nation or a city. But all the time, the ver at the very core of these prophecies, it was revealing the character of God. God uses prophets to reveal the truth of who he is to his people. And now here is why this matters for us this morning, church. There is no shortage of voices out there wanting our attention, is there? And sometimes those voices are not particularly helpful. In fact, sometimes they are just outright lies. And so I wonder if you've ever found yourself listening to and believing some of those lies. When I was in college at Wayne State, holla, we... Uh, 
used to go out uh, a couple times a year to Shadron State College in Shadron, Nebraska, and we had helped them with their men's retreat. Um, and if you grew up in Omaha like I did and used to consider Elkhorn, Western Nebraska, <laughs> let me help you out with your geography. Shadron is actually Western Nebraska. It is about as far as you can go, at least in my opinion, in the state of Nebraska. And so one of the, so we have to drive for hours and hours to get there. And one of the years, I was tasked as being kind of the point person to organize uh, this trip out to Shadron. And one of the guys uh, that was uh, coming out with me came up and said, hey, my dad has got this van, and, and if, if we, he'll let us borrow this van, and then we can all fit in the van, and we can drive out there together. I'm like, well, that sounds great. I love the shared experience. You know, is it reliable? Like, will it actually get us out there? We got a lot of driving to do. Yeah, yeah, it's fine. Well, you know, it's February. There might be snow on the ground. Will it, like, actually drive in the snow? Oh, yeah, yeah. We've never had any problems. And so... So it's time to go. He pulls up in this van. And, and when I say van, I don't want you to think about like these new minivans with all-wheel drive and like electric doors and like you don't have to change the oil for 300,000 miles and they're going to be fine. Think of early to mid-80s conversion van where you walk in the back and there's this gigantic like lazy boy chair that nobody can sit in because it's broke. In the back corner is this sink that no water has ever run through in the history of its existence. And then in the middle where, you know, logically there might be seats, there's this huge table that nobody can actually reach from where they're sitting. So we're not quite sure what the purpose of this table is. So this is the van that we're driving. And it's smoking and, and you know, there's some bad things going on. But he's like, no, no, this is going to be great. So we all hop in this thing, and we drive out to Shadron looking like we want to kidnap a bunch of young children. And it makes it. Thankfully, we're out there. We do the retreat. It's beautiful. Uh, and then it's time to come back. And, and I hear, this is before smartphones, so like actually watch the news. There's supposed to be some snow on the way home. And I'm like, hey, guys, we should probably get out of here soon. And uh, one guy comes up to me and says, hey, I got an idea. We need to take a detour and we need to go to this place called Carhenge. Has anyone heard of what this, a couple of, oh wow, a lot of you. I had no idea what this thing is. Okay, so for those of you that were like me, Carhenge is out in western Nebraska somewhere too. Uh, but it's where someone has taken old junky cars and set them up like Stonehenge, like over um, in England, like the old ancient thing, and painted them all gray. And it's supposed to be like this replica of Stonehenge with these junk cars, which, by the way, is the most Nebraska thing ever. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm like, man, this is going to snow. But I'm like, all right, okay, whatever. We'll do this. So against my better judgment, we go down there. Um, and so we go down there, and this really doesn't add to my story, but it really kind of does. So Pastor Chris was actually uh, in college with me, um, and he was on this particular trip. And one of my uh, enduring memories is Chris ripping the exhaust manifold off of one of these cars for a, for a souvenir. <laughs> and I remember very distinctly and calmly, I'm sure not as calm as I, as I remember, telling him, Chris, that's actually vandalism. Like... <laughs> And that souvenir that you're putting in the car, that's evidence of the vandalism. So hopefully the statute of limitations is over for that. And there's nobody here that has a stake in Carhenge. Uh, but we start to head home. And uh, don't worry, I'm wrapping up this longest story in City Light history here in a second. Uh, so we start to head home, and that's when it starts to snow. 
And when I say snow, it wasn't little flurries. It was a straight up whiteout. You couldn't see a thing. And so our seven to eight hour drive home turned into 16, 17 hours. We're crawling on the interstate, trying to keep the momentum of this nasty van going. And so we're about an hour away from home. We're almost to the promised land. And one of these huge, like, highway snow clearers, which are like what we have on steroids, comes down the highway. And so we have to pull over. Um, And we pull over, and the momentum of the van stops, and you know what happens. We get stuck. We're an hour out. The wind's blowing. It is freezing cold. And and as I am getting out to push this 2 million pound van out of this snow drift, the thing that was going through my mind is like, how many lies did I actually believe to get to this position right here? How many lies did I listen to that now I am outside in the freezing cold trying to push this van the last hour Um, And then nobody's going to stop because only kidnappers drive those vans. And so you're not getting any help. But my hope this morning, City Light, is to keep us out of the ditch. My hope is that by looking at Jesus the prophet and the fullness of truth that he is, we can keep the lies of this world, excuse me, of this world from throwing us off course. And so if you've ever believed something that's not true, if you've ever gotten frustrated and where can I wondered where can I actually find truth, if you've ever wondered if you can actually know God, his character, and what he thinks of you, this morning is for you. So let's go ahead and jump in. My first heading is this, the promise of a prophet. The promise of a prophet. We're going to be looking at Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 to 18. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead and flip there. And as you're going there, let me set the stage for us a little bit on kind of where we're at. So God's people, Israel, have been in slavery for hundreds of years um, under the nation of Egypt. And so God raises up this man, Moses, to go and politely ask Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, to let his people go. Now, Pharaoh's not particularly interested in that because he likes free labor and those pyramids don't build themselves, so he declines. And continuing a consistent pattern that we see in the Bible of people that openly defy God, it does not go well for Pharaoh. And God wrecks Pharaoh's life for a little while until he decides, okay, I'm going to let God's people go. And so God has used Moses to rescue his people, and now they're on a journey. They're on a journey to a land that God has promised them, and they take this little detour, and now God is giving them all of of his words and rules for living in this new land. Now, these rules are not to suppress Israel. These rules are not to have his thumb on them, but these rules are meant to help them prosper. These rules are meant to help them thrive in the land that they're coming to. And so we're going to jump in right here in Deuteronomy, and we're in the middle of of God speaking to his people uh, through Moses. So look with me at Deuteronomy chapter 18, uh, verses 15 to 19. Now this is Moses speaking to the people. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from among your brothers. It is to him you shall listen. Just as you desired of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of assembly, When you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God, or see this great fire anymore, lest I die. 
And the Lord said to me, they are right in what they have spoken. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their brothers. And I will put my words in his mouth and he shall speak to them all that I commanded him. And whoever will not listen to my words that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. So there's that word prophet. We're introduced to that. And I think we need to answer the question, okay, why? Why is God using a prophet? Why is he using someone to speak to his people? And, and we get a little bit of, a, of a, a clue and a taste as to why that is happening here uh, in this passage. Because the people tell Moses that if God speaks directly to them, they will die. Now we need to get a little context of that. Israel, God's people, has just seen God and his presence come down on this mountain. And they've seen Moses go into uh, this area, this presence of God to speak with God. But it wasn't uh, uh, just God's presence. But with his presence, there was lightning and thunder. And the mountain was on fire. And it was full of smoke. And the earth was shaking. And there was this loud trumpet blast. And that nobody knew where it was coming from. But the people were terrified. They were terrified, and that's when they told Moses, listen, okay, you can talk to God and then talk to us, but don't let God talk to us. He can tell you something, and then you come and you tell us, but don't let, don't let that, the smoke and the, the fire and the earthquake, don't let that come and talk to us. Kids, if you've ever sent your little brother or sister to go and talk to mom or dad because you were afraid to ask them that question, this is what Israel is doing here. Israel wants Moses to go talk to dad for them. Now, church, notice here again that the people told Moses that if God spoke to them, they were going to die. And then if we look in verse 17, God tells Moses they're right. Actually, yeah, they, they will actually die if I continue to talk to them, if my presence is around them. Now, this is key to understand because we can read that and we can think to ourselves, is God a jerk? Like, that he would talk to his people and they would die? Is there like some sort of design flaw here that the creator, when his voice comes, his creation actually dies? Like, what's going on here? Now, of course, we know that the answer to that is no, God is not a jerk, and no, God did not have a flaw in our design. But if we think back to the garden with Adam and Eve before the first sin, before sin came in, it says that God walked with Adam and Eve in the garden. His presence was there. His voice was there. His words were there, and Adam and Eve had no shame. They were completely secure. They enjoyed their conversations with God, and they were complete. But then the lie came with the serpent. And the lie was that maybe Adam and Eve couldn't trust the word of God. And they listened to that lie. And Adam and Eve stopped believing God's word, and sin entered the world. And with sin, death. And all of a sudden... When they heard the word of God, they ran and they hid because they were afraid. Sin completely changed the way they related to God. Sin completely changed their conversation with God. Instead of when they hear his voice, they run to him. Now, when they hear his voice, they run away from him. And church, this problem 
has infected every single human being ever since then. When we hear the word of God, our nature is to run from it and not to it. And so that is why God, in his grace, is setting up prophets to talk to his people. This is not a broken design. This is God's grace for his people that he would still, even though they rebelled against him, reveal himself to them and give them words of life and words of truth. And look, Israel had one job when it came to the prophets. They had one simple job when it came to God speaking to them. God said, all right, I get it. I won't come down to you. In fact, I'm going to set up prophet after prophet, but here's your one job. Listen to the prophet. Listen to the word of God. In verse 15, it says, to him, you shall listen. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was writing this story, this is where it would end. God said, listen, people, people of God said, okay, they did the end. That's it. Let's end it right here. But we know better, right? We know better that this story goes on because people got the, the people of God didn't listen. It's why our Bibles are so thick. We'd have really thin Bibles if God people, God's people would just listen, wouldn't we? And yet we see over and over again, that we don't like to listen to God. It's so frustrating reading the Old Testament because over and over you see God's people refusing to listen to God. And when they do that, bad things always follow. That is a consistent pattern. When we do that, bad things also and always follow. God said, don't eat the fruit. They ate the fruit and death happened. God said, get on the ark or you're drowned. A lot of people didn't get on the ark and they drowned. God was punishing a city and destroying a city and and the remnant that he saved from it he said don't look back guess what happened one of them looked back they turned into a pillar of salt god said my kings the people that are representing my nation are only to have one wife that is it one wife king solomon decided he wanted a thousand wives and so he did that and it starts what becomes the downfall of israel the kingdom splits and and they end up being conquered and taken to other nations. And so what a lot of these Old, Old Testament prophets did is that they, they pointed out all the places in which Israel and their leaders were not listening to the word of God. The pattern was stark and easy to see. When God's people listened to his prophets, things went well. When they didn't, things did not go well. Unfortunately for Israel, they didn't listen far more often than they did. However, and this is, this is important, God foresaw this. He saw that this was coming, and he promised a prophet that was greater than any prophet who had ever lived. In verse 15 and 18, he promises to raise up a prophet like Moses. God is telling, listen, he's telling his people, listen, I'm going to speak to you. I'm going to reveal myself to you. I'm going to give you words of life, but I know that you're going to be disobedient. I know that you are going to reject my words, and so I need you to know I have a bigger plan in play. I know you're going to run from me, but I have something much bigger that is coming. You see, God in the Old Testament revealed uh, small parts about himself through the prophets, but in the New Testament, Jesus would come and completely reveal God. 
Whereas the prophets could only speak the words of God, Jesus was the complete revelation of the words of God. And so about 1,400 years after this promise that we see in Deuteronomy, a baby is born in a small town called Bethlehem to an unmarried teenage mother. And all of a sudden, we have the arrival of this prophet. So my second heading this morning is arrival of a prophet. And church, this is why Jesus being the prophet is such good news for them and then for us today. Jesus is the whole revelation of God. He is the whole truth of God in a person. John chapter 1 verse 1 says, In the beginning was the Word. And the word was with God, and the word was God. And then script down to uh, verse 14, it says, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Think of it this way. If a lie broke into the world and brought death, the truth is breaking into the world and bringing life in Jesus Christ. And God's people were no longer going to need prophets to speak little truths of God to them because they have the whole revelation of the truth of who God is with them in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the fullness of the truth of God in flesh. He is full of truth proclaiming a new way. So Jesus came in grace and truth. Jesus' words broke down lies and built up truth. Jesus came to this earth preaching, repent, for the kingdom of God is near. He was not swayed by social status or influence or threats. He was the embodiment of truth, the very word of God made flesh. He preached grace and forgiveness without minimizing sin. He called out hypocrisy of the self-righteous. He evened the playing field of the world, showing us that we are all sinners in need of the grace of God. He did all of this in the face of a world that wanted to kill him because of the very words that were coming out of his mouth. You see, it was not the deeds of Jesus that were the problem. It was what he said. Nobody had any issues with him feeding the sick or or healing the sick or feeding the hungry or calming the storm. But they did have issues when he offered forgiveness and grace to people that they thought did not deserve forgiveness and grace. They did have a problem when he told the self-righteous religious leaders, guess what? You are in just as, as much need of grace as the tax collector, the prostitute, the sinner. That is what they had a problem with and it was jesus's words that ended up getting him killed and after jesus died and rose again peter one of his disciples makes an important connection for us very shortly after that so look with me at acts chapter 3 verses 19 to 22 repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Here it is. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever 
he tells you. So Peter is, is teaching here in the temple. This is shortly after Jesus has risen from the dead and ascended into heaven. And this is one of the first sermons that Peter has ever preached. And what he is telling them is, listen, the great prophet has come. The one that God foretold through Moses has come, and he and the Messiah are one and the same. He is completely God. God has been here on earth. Listen. But here's the deal. This prophet is different. All the previous prophets could do was speak and warn and then duck when God's punishment came. This prophet could stand in for that punishment for us. This prophet was not merely a mouthpiece for God, but was God himself. Instead of sending another prophet who might yell louder to get the attention of the people, he sent his son who would quietly and silently take the punishment for all of us. You see, this is better news than anyone at that time or, or even now could have ever imagined. Since this was the Son of God, since this was the full revelation, the full Word of God made flesh, He did not just bring a Word to help us thrive a little bit here on earth, but He came to defeat death so that we could be with Him again, just like in the garden in the first place before the first lie came in. And so this is all amazing and this is amazing news but the reality is is that we still live in a world full of lies don't we we still live with the presence of sin and death and lies jesus came to defeat all of these things once and for all but we're still in this in-between time where it is true that jesus has come and done what he has done but the final bell for death and sin and lies has not yet rung we are in the already but not yet time. The already, meaning we know it has been done, and there's now a way paved back to the Father by the Son, but the not yet in that sin and death still exist. We live in a world where we can have freedom from lies and sin and death, but where they still exist. There will one day be a time where we don't remember the sound of a lie or the smell of a sin or the feeling of death, but what do we do? In this in-between time, the already, not yet. Well, let's look at what Peter quotes from Deuteronomy. He says, you shall listen to him. You shall listen to him. Does that sound familiar? Nothing has changed from that standpoint. God speaks and we must listen. And the primary way we hear and respond to God is through his written word, the Bible. The thing that grounds us to truth amidst a world full of lies is looking to Jesus. This is not God's instruction manual. Although there are some instructions in it, the primary purpose of this is not to give us a list of instructions for life, but to point us to the very Son of God, to point us to the very God that can save us from our sins and that is coming again to wipe out all of our enemies. The written word of God exists to reveal the incarnate word of God, Jesus Christ. Everything before Jesus points forward to him. We saw that in the little passage from Deuteronomy, but that's true of everything that is written before Jesus. Everything that was written after Jesus points to him or forward to his second coming. 
Jesus is the point. This is God's redemption plan for his people, which is tied up in a person named Jesus Christ. Do you see this? This is the full revelation of the character of God and the redemption of his people in one person. And that is what this book is about. And Peter tells us simply, quoting the Father, listen to Jesus. We need to allow the word of God to point us to the son of God and conform us to him. Now, what was true of Israel in the Old Testament is still true of us today. I need the word of God every day to point me to truth because I don't naturally run towards truth. The Bible tells me that my job as a husband is to lovingly sacrifice for my wife and give myself up for her. Do you know how many times she has had to tell me that? No, actually, she has never once told me that. My amazing and humble wife, although she can go to that well, has not. And she's allowed the Holy Spirit to do a work and continue to do a work in me. But for real, so many times something is not going right in my, my life. Maybe my kids are irritable. Maybe my coworkers are frustrated with me. Maybe my wife is tired. And the problem is not them. It is not them. It's that I forgot the word of God and assumed again that I was the point, that I was the center of this universe. Jesus is the main character of this book, not you and me. When we read it, we shouldn't primarily see ourselves. We should primarily see Jesus. We need to allow Jesus to define who Jesus is in this. Amen. We need to allow the Bible to shape us instead of us shaping the Bible. Amen. Now, City Light, can I just say that overwhelmingly I see a church that allows the word of God to define the character of God and then joyfully follows after that. I see a people that care deeply about the gospel, believing it to be the power of God for the salvation of men and women who share the gospel with their neighbors, with their kids, with their coworkers. We have seen over the last several years many people come to faith in Jesus at this church, but very, very few of them have been in this room listening to sermons. They've been in your homes. They've been in your city groups. They've been in your families. I see a people that move towards others no matter what they look like, sound like, or think like. I see a people caring for refugees, engaging their coworkers, and not being afraid of someone if they happen to have a more visible sin in their life. I see a people that recognize from the Bible that they are hopeless sinners in need of a Savior just like everyone else on the face of this planet. And yet, I know our nature is not to naturally gravitate towards truth. Those lies that we hear are tempting to listen to. They're tempting to give headspace to. And so for application, City Light, if I can just press in, are you allowing the ultimate prophet to shape you through his word? There is no condemnation if you're not reading the Bible. Salvation is not found in reading words, but found in faith in the Son of God. But there is a warning. If you are not continually immersing yourself in the word of God, you just might be worshiping a God of your own making instead of the one true God that revealed himself to us through his word, the Bible. Reading the Bible is not a cure for all ills, and I'm not going to stand up here and suggest that simply reading words on a page is going to fix everything in your life, but I can tell you this. I have encountered very few people who are caught in a pattern of destructive sin who are also 
regularly reading their Bibles. Whether it is a cause or a symptom, lack of Bible reading almost always comes with sin that has found a root in people's lives. There is something about humbling ourselves before our Savior and desiring Him to shape our lives that helps us to slay sin in our lives. And so, City Light, would we be a church that's marked by a love for the Word of God, not only corporately, but personally? Would we all personally, regularly allow ourselves to be shaped by the Word of God? Amen? Amen. And lastly, one of the most encouraging things about the Bible is one day that we're not going to need it. The third and final heading we have this morning is this, longing for a prophet. Look with me at Revelation chapter 19. I'm going to follow a theme through this. I'm going to skip around a little bit, but it'll be um, on the board there. Then I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. He is clothed in a robe dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And I saw the beast and the king of the earth with their armies gathered to make war against him who was sitting on the horse and against his army. And the beast was captured, and with it the false prophet who in its presence had done the signs by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped its image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire that burns with sulfur. Now you can take the rest of chapter 19 and have an interesting brunch conversation with your family. Mommy, what does gorged mean? (laughs) This rider on the white horse is the king of kings and the lord of lords. He is Jesus. Jesus is the word of God made flesh, the complete revelation of God made flesh. One day, the word of God will for all time slay the very lie that made it necessary in the first place. Truth will be all there is. False prophets will be gone. All deception will be gone. The great deceiver will be no more. Church, one day we will be free of the lies that have whispered in our ears. We will be free of those questions and insecurities that have plagued us for, a whole, for our whole lives. How could God use a person like you? How could God forgive a person like you? Or maybe even more dangerously, you don't need God. Who's he to you? Those lies that have impacted our grandparents, our parents, us, our kids, and all down the line, we will be free of all of it. And would the promise of that, would that make us look forward and long for the time that Jesus returns? When we struggle with lies and fight them with the word of God, would it make us long for and anticipate that real date on the real calendar that only God knows in which he is returning to make all things new? Amen. But church, in the meantime, let's not give shelter to these lies in our minds and our hearts anymore. Let's shed light on the darkness with the word of God. Let's be a people who stand firm against the lies of the enemy and of this world, not because we're strong, 
but because we're dependent on the embodiment of truth himself, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Well, Jesus, you are God. You are the one who has the words of life. You are nothing but truth. There is no deceit in you. There are no lies in you. And, oh, Lord, would we look to you to define our truth? Would we look to you to define what truth is? When the lies come, would we not give them shelter? But, God, would we run to your word? Would we run to you? Would we run to your perfect revelation of yourself in Jesus Christ? Oh, Lord, would you do a work in our hearts and would truth and light reign in our lives? We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.